You're listening to audio from Church of the Incarnation. To donate to our ministry or find out more, please visit incarnationcfl.com. Well, that was a spoiler alert. You know where I'm headed now. It's Epiphany Sunday. And so if you're new to the Anglican tradition or to the liturgical tradition, let me help you understand what that is. Um, that is the week that follows the two weeks of the Christmas season where we've been, of course, celebrating the incarnation, the coming of Jesus, this little baby in a manger. And here's the really bold claim of Epiphany. I mean, this, this is a massively bold claim, the claim of Epiphany. This is, I'm, I, this is what it is. I, just, I didn't make it up. I just get to tell you about it. Um, that, that baby Jesus that's that's laying in that manger in Bethlehem for the past two weeks anyway in our minds, uh, he's taken over the whole world. <laughs> he's taken over. And in fact, Epiphany is an entire week uh, to celebrate this reality that, that God, just like he drew the wise men, that's why we're seeing the wise men in the reading this morning. Um, Epiphany's about them. Just, just like he drew these wise men. And let's not church it up. Let's, let's tell the story the way it really is. Just like he drew pagan astrologers from Babylon, because that's who they were. I mean, these were not wise, wise men. Um, that's a churchy way to really uh, say something different than what the text says. They were magi. Does that sound like anything? Magician, right? That's what they were Babylonian magicians who were star reading astrologers who were probably into all kinds of weird mystery religions who had somehow found their way to a Jewish scripture. And as they're reading that scripture, see a star in the sky over Bethlehem and start walking there. And, and then come face to face with the person of Jesus. What that little story is supposed to tell us is that, let me, here's the truth of epiphany. Here's what's on God's heart. That the entire world, the entire world would come face to face with the person of Jesus in that very same way. And it, that Christianity, this thing we're doing in here, is not uh, just some sort of obscure thing that a few people in Western Europe do. Our way to God. I mean, that, that's the sort of minimizing way that we think about Christianity now. It's like, it's, it's one way that a certain culture and group of people, um, mostly Anglo-Saxon, mostly rich Western Europeans, think about their journey towards God. Um, that's a sham, and let me tell you why. Because you're just as miraculously a part of this Christian thing as any wise men. You are the wise men too. Like the fact that we're in Oviedo in 2022. Can you believe it's 2022 now? That blows my mind. Anyone besides me like spend three weeks writing 2021 on everything? Right? We don't write checks anymore. Remember those days? You're like, you're crossing out, you know, the wrong year. Oh, okay, it's 2022. The fact that we're in Oviedo in 2022 talking about being a part of this Christian thing is just as miraculous as any wise man coming from the East. And, and, and here's, here's what I want to just glory in this morning is that God's not done bringing the nations to himself. He's not. He is not done bringing the nations of the world to himself. Um, that this, this Christianity that we're here a part of this morning is actually, this is a bold claim too, it is the hope of every nation. It is the fulfillment of the longing of every human heart. And, and I believe that God is in fact embedded within every nation I really do believe this. He's embedded within every nation little seeds of his presence. 
they're going to lead, lead those nations and peoples to himself, just like the wise men were led to Jesus and a star. I believe he's done that with every person. I believe he's done that with your neighbors. I mean, Epiphany Sunday should be a missionary event in our hearts. Like, we're going to take seriously, like, wait, is it, is it really possible that God wants to take over my whole neighborhood? He does. I mean, like, I'm a professional Christian, so I am just as guilty as, like, I get mousy about this sometimes. I think we're going to come in here to this little church building that's a quarter mile down a gravel road. If you're joining us online, I'll just tell you, this is a quarter mile down a gravel road (laughs) to get here. And people turn around. They sometimes, they try and drive down. I've heard many of you say, like, I came two or three times, and I turned around every time thinking I'm going to Deliverance movie in West Virginia, right? Like, I don't want to meet that guy. And it's, it's scary to come all the way back here, and we come inside this little building, and we have a Christian huddle. And then we go out of here, and it's, it is a shocking and al- almost disruptively wonderful truth to think, no, wait a second, like this thing that we're proclaiming in here, this resurrected Jesus, he wants to take over our neighborhood. Every person in it. Every single person. That's what Epiphany Sunday's about. So we're just going to think about that. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, I'm going to be in Isaiah 60 this morning. I love this text. It's in your bulletin if you want to turn there. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6 is a perfect um, reading for Epiphany. <clears throat> and here, let me set this up just for a minute so you can understand Isaiah chapter 60. So th- this, this section begins the last section of Isaiah's book. The last six chapters of Isaiah's book um, carry the same theme, okay, and this, this starts in Isaiah 60, goes all the way through chapter 66, and if some of you have um, titles in your Bibles, you may see something like this, the glorious restoration of Zion. Now, what is that, right? So, so, so if, you, if you got your text, look, arise, chapter 60, verse 1, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Who's the you? Okay, it's, it's Zion. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 2. For darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Okay, who's the you? It's, it's Zion. Well, what is Zion? Zion is a metaphor. Okay, don't miss this. It is a metaphor for the redeemed people of God in the presence of God. What does that sound like to you? Church. So Zion is a metaphor for, don't, so don't miss this, think about it this way. It's a metaphor for the redeemed people of God in the city of God with walls of protection around it, with God's very presence in its midst, okay? And it was a way that the Old Testament community started speaking about Jerusalem, which was their capital city, okay? But it wasn't just any normal Jerusalem. It was a perfect Jerusalem where everybody's righteous. I mean, if you've got your Bibles, you can just keep trolling through Isaiah 60. Listen to this. I'm going to skip down to verse um, 18. So in this city, Zion, this, this, this community of, of God's people with God at its, pre, at, at its center, listen, violence shall be no more, shall never be heard in your land. Devastation and destruction shall not be heard within your borders. Listen, you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. 
Let me tell you what I think Isaiah is seeing. He is seeing a picture of the New Testament church gathered around the person of Jesus. That is what I think he's seeing in this glorious vision of Zion in 60 through 66. It is way too miraculous and way too weird for it to happen literally. I do not think this is a literal description of a redeemed literal Jerusalem. I think this is a picture of you and me. And I think what we're going to see is God's bringing the nations to this community. So let me keep reading. Isaiah 60, your walls shall be called salvation. What, what is the thing that protects you? It's, it's, your, it's your salvation, right? It's, it's a metaphor for who you are. Your gates praise, listen to verse 19, sun shall no longer be your light by day, so there's no sun in the city, and at night there shall be no moon for brightness, for the Lord God will be your everlasting light. All right, so that's weird if that's literal, right? We're talking about a literal Jerusalem where there's no sun and no moon. I don't think it's literal. I think it's a metaphor for the people of God in the presence of God. I'll just give you one more reason why. Verse 21, your people shall all be righteous. All right, so if this is a literal place that's going to take place on planet Earth, then the only people who can be in there are perfect people. And that's going to be a tough gate to keep. Right? Anybody perfect? All right, come on in. Un- imperfect can't come in. No one's going to be in that city. This is not a literal picture of a literal place. This is the church. This is the New Testament community gathered around the person of Jesus. And let me tell you how I know that's true. If you just keep going to chapter 61, these words should remind you of something that took place in Nazareth, the place where Jesus grew up. One of the first things Jesus does is stand up in his hometown synagogue and read this text from the glorious restoration of Zion. And say these scriptures are fulfilled today in your hearing. Listen. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed. Does this remind you the gospels, right? To bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Release from the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. A day of vengeance for our God and a comfort for all who mourn in Zion. So here's what Isaiah is seeing. I know it. He is seeing a metaphorical picture of the redeemed people of God around Jesus, the person of God. He's seeing a picture of the church. And here's the epiphany part. We're going to go back to what's actually in your bulletin. The nations of the world are coming to that community. And I'll just say it again. God's very clear heart and desire. This is all I want you to hear this morning. God's very clear heart and desire is to gather every single person in your neighborhood to his presence. God's very clear heart and desire, I mean, I just want you to feel the weight of this, is to gather every one of your friends to his presence. And he's going to use us to do it. All right, so let's go back to it. Isaiah chapter 60, here's the bulletin. Verse 1, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the peoples. Think about the wise men, right? Think about the wise men when you hear this. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you, right? I think in some prophetic way, the wise men are sort of a first fruits of this same idea that in a world of darkness, here are these magicians who are seeing the brightness of God in a star and being led to his presence. And here's what I want to say. Is it possible 
Is it possible that God has put within the hearts of every person you know all of the breadcrumbs necessary to lead them straight to his presence? Is it possible that embedded within the history and the story of the lives of every person you know is a perfect setup for God to just twist and turn and maneuver to lead those people to his presence? I think it's entirely possible, and I think that's what Epiphany is about, that we would be intentionally awake to that reality. All right, let's keep reading. Listen to this. Verse 3, listen. Nations shall come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your dawn. That's an astounding statement. If this, is a, if this is a statement about the church, which I think it is. That the nations of the world would come to the brightness of what's happening in this room. That God would gather, and here's what I think that means. That God would gather people from every tribe, nation, people, language, and tongue. That every single part of Oviedo, every single part of this awesome planet would be embedded into the, into the church. Lift up your eyes, verse 4, and look around. Can you hear that? I want you to hear that. All right, when you're, when you're driving into the Starbucks drive through can you lift up your eyes and look around? I mean, have you ever had that thought? I, ha- I have that thought. You drive into the Starbucks drive through right, and you, you greet that precious person who's handing you your overpriced coffee. Can you, I mean, can you believe people spend $5 on coffee? This, this still blows my mind. 15 years into this cultural experiment, we are, I mean, I cannot believe how much a cup of coffee costs at Starbucks. But I love it. <laughs> I love it. But lift, here's what the text I think is telling you. Lift up your eyes. Like when you're driving into that Starbucks line and you greet that, have you ever had the thought like, I wonder where it is in which the Holy Spirit of God is embedded within that Starbucks employee's heart all the perfect recipe necessary for them to just be led to the person of Jesus. God, how can I be a part of that? I mean, that is a, that is a weird thought, especially for Episcopalians, right? I mean, let's just make fun of our own tribe for a minute. We are not known to be the most evangelical, evangelistic tribe on planet Earth. But, we, but yet we have this Sunday every year. This is what Epiphany's about. We have this Sunday every year where we're supposed to be telling ourselves that God's bringing the wealth of the nations into the church. And I just want to encourage you to believe it. I mean, lift up your eyes, verse 4, and look around. They all gather. They come to you. I love this verse. Your sons shall come from far away. Can anyone hear that in hope for their own kids? Come on. Anyone in here, anyone watching, giving up on their own kids to come to the brightness of the person of Jesus? I just want to encourage you this morning in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not give up on your kids because God is able to bring some Jewish magicians from Babylon hundreds of miles through a star. He is entirely capable of bringing your family. I'm talking all of them, every single one of them, to his presence. He did it for you. Think about your own story. He did it for you. Don't don't minimize how weird and wonderful your own story is. You should not be here. I shouldn't be here. I should be a park ranger in Alaska. I told God that's what I was going to do with my life for years. I was going to be a snow scientist. 
A rather godless one, I'm sure. And God sent me to an evangelical summer camp. You want to know my story? Here's how it goes. My parents could not afford to send me to the Episcopal summer camp. Thank God for that. So they, they find the cheapest one they could find. And it is a Pentecostal summer camp in the hills in western North Carolina. I still cannot believe they sent me there. <laughs> what were you all thinking? Right? And I show up as a fourth grader. And I'm just sitting there. And I'm encountering this God that I had just not experienced before. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, God is real. I want to know him. And my heart was hooked. Here I am, 30 years later. That's weird. If God did it for you, he can do it for your friends. He can do it for every one of your friends. I I love the way Isaiah describes it here, right? Your, Your sons shall come, your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Look at this. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice. Can you resonate with that for the people you love and long for the most to understand who this God is? I mean, one, one of the most exciting things that's supposed to happen in here, and I love it, is, is, is when, when people come for the very first time to the knowledge of the person of Jesus, and all of us just get to see it and rejoice. Like, can you believe the way in which God has wrenched that whole person's life around? I can't believe he did that. And it's just supposed to be the most joyous heartbeat of who we are. And I am telling you that God has done it over and over again through this little church. He has radically changed people's entire lives. He has. And I believe he's going to continue to do it until this place is wealthy. And I want you to think about wealth in this way. Wealthy with the hearts of every person that God wants to draw here. In Jesus' name. And that's where Isaiah sees it. Look, verse, look, at, look at the way this goes. The wealth, verse 5. You shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice because of the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. And let me tell you what the wealth of the nations is. It is, it is the beautiful hearts of every single one of your neighbors. Every person you know, every, every part of who they are. Can I, can I go four more minutes? You don't have a choice because I'm going to do it. I'm up here and you're there, so you can't stop me, all right? I just want to encourage you with a story, and I want you to take it uh, seriously, and I want you to think... In this way, what, how, what would it look like for God to give you boldness to, to step outside of yourself, to be, to be a part of God bringing the wealth of the nations to himself? Has anyone ever heard of a guy named Don Richardson? Well, this guy's going to blow your mind, okay? Don Richardson, okay, he wrote two books. And I, if you're interested in this story, you can, you can find out more in these two books. The Peace Child, we wrote a bunch of books, okay? But these two, The Peace Child and Eternity in Their Hearts. Two books that tell the story of Don Richardson. Okay, Don Richardson was just a normal guy from Alberta, Canada. But then he started feeling God tugging his heart to go and be a missionary. And so this dude from Alberta picks up his wife and his infant baby and moves to Papua New Guinea. Can you believe it? To go and embed himself within a tribe of cannibals. Yeah, and I'm like, dang, I can't even tell the lady at the checkout aisle. Right? At least she's not going to eat me. 
He, go, he goes to Papua New Guinea. <clears throat> he goes there. And, and, and he moves there without his wife and kids initially. He builds a really small hut amidst this community. And they put up with him because he's got neat things like fishing line and metal tools. And they don't have the stuff. They're a Stone Age tribe of cannibals. Seriously. And, and they, they get to know him. They befriend him. And then he says, hey, I'm going to bring my kids. I'm going to bring my wife and my, 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 my kid back. And we're going to live among you. And they say, okay. And he goes three days journey to go get his kids. And he comes back. And when they land their little canoe on the river, this is all true. You can read about it in these two books. Okay, There are 400 tribesmen all dressed in war paint with spears and bows and arrows standing there to greet them. Cannibals. I'm turning around. He doesn't turn around. He, he says over and over, he's like, we had no idea if that was the last day of our life. But we just knew that God had put eternity in the hearts of these Sowy people. And he was going to draw them to himself. They land, they get inside their little hut, and no joke, for three days, the entire tribe dances around their hut, day and night, for three days. They weren't going to kill them. They were so thrilled for them to live there. But here's the thing about the Sowy tribe is that embedded within their culture were the virtues of deceit and trickery. So he starts to understand their language, takes him years, and eventually when you get to the point where he can communicate, he starts to teach them the stories of Scripture. And he's to the point where he's teaching them the story of Judas betraying Jesus. He starts talking about Judas betraying Jesus, and the whole place just lights up with excitement. They're like, Judas, that's our guy. <laughs> That he would be that treacherous, that he would be able to trick Jesus in that way. Jesus, what a doof. That was their take. And Don Richardson's like, oh God, how am I going to get through to these people? What are you going to do? And you know what the answer was? War. Man, this is awesome. I love this story. As the Sowie tribe began to war with tribes around, Don saw something embedded in their culture that was a seed for the gospel. And here's what it was. When you were tired of fighting, when you'd had enough bloodshed, the king of the Sowie tribe, would give his son to the warring tribe to live among them. And that child was called the peace child. When the giving, can you believe that? You can make this stuff up. When the giving of the firstborn son was exchanged to the enemy's camp, as the son lived, as long as the son was alive within the enemy's camp, there was peace between the nations. And Don saw that. He's like, man, that's the seed of the gospel right there. And he began to preach and teach the person and work of Jesus. And that little cultural thing inside of this community just opened their hearts to understand who Jesus was until the entire tribe was radically transformed with the gospel. So much so that right now they're missionaries to other tribes in Papua New Guinea. Can you believe that? Here's the thing, and I'm done. God wants to do that very same thing for your neighbors. But here's what it's going to mean for you. You have to be willing to get out of your little canoe and go and stand among them at the risk of your own life. At the risk of your, at the risk of your own comfort. And I think that all of us will be surprised at what the Lord will do with that. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening. Would you like to connect with our church? Join us online or in person every week at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit incarnationcfl.com to learn more. Have a great week.